0: Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new, and aren't you ready to press on to the new and to let go of the old? Now, the old is not 2020, in case you're wondering. The old are the mental constructs, frames of mind, certain mindsets, uh, strongholds that are keeping you from moving to that point B in your life. I gave some advice to a group of women the other day, some business women. They said, what is the key to success in this new year? And I said, don't look back. <laughs> Just don't look back at what was at what happened. Look ahead. Create a greater vision for your life and if you're a believer. Create a vision based on the promises of God. Straight from the word Look at those promises And I remind you That sometimes those promises Don't come to pass When we want them to And how we want them to But we've got to stay patient We've got to endure We've got to dig in our heels And wait I mean let's be reminded That God told the prophet Habakkuk Who was a complainer (laughs) He was like God When are you going to fulfill Everything that you have promised Now keep in mind God always keeps His promises. He always comes through. But this is what He said to Habakkuk. He said, hey Habakkuk, and I'm paraphrasing of course He says, although the promise may linger a bit, although it may tarry although although it hasn't come to pass, He says, expect it expect it because if I told you so it'll be so. Not when you want it to be but when I have already ordained it to happen and so He goes on to tell Habakkuk, He says, right the vision that I have given you on a tablet so that it is easy to read. You see, that's where we fail at times. We have this grand vision, but we don't write it down. So I encourage you, whatever the vision is for 2021, whatever the goal looks like, press on. Don't look back. You're not driving in reverse, my friend. You're going from point A to point B. I recall a few years ago when I ran new york city marathon well actually it's a little more than just a few years ago it was it was nine years ago and i remember that the first thing that i did when i arrived in new york was to go to central park take out my phone and take a snapshot a picture of the finish line the glorious finish line the following day the race would start over on staten island keep in mind a marathon is 26.2 miles I was on Staten Island in freezing cold weather, in a tank top, shorts, and my tennis shoes, my running shoes. I didn't have anything else. This was my first time. I was inexperienced, I could run, but I didn't know what to expect. My first time in New York. And so there I was on Staten Island. I got there at about 6.30 in the morning, but but my, my group wasn't leaving until 10.30. So there I stood shaking. But every so often I would take a look at that picture that I had taken of the glorious finish line. And so when my group was about to leave the starting line, after the national anthem and the pledges and after a singer sang Frank Sinatra's New York, New York, (laughs) they sounded off the gun. We heard the shot and we took off running. From that point on, I never looked back I didn't keep my eyes on the starting line. I didn't look back at Staten Island. I mean, I crossed the Verrazano Bridge, which was probably one of the highest and longest climbs in the race. It was, it was dreadful. A lot of people were, were passing out on the Verrazano. It was so hard. But yet, while I was on the Verrazano, all I could think about was the glorious finish line and I pressed on. Was it easy? No. No, it wasn't easy. I mean, come on. 1% of the world's population ever run a marathon. It isn't for everyone. It's only for crazy people like me. (laughs) And those, of course, that only run a half marathon, 13.1 miles, are only half as crazy. I kept my eyes on the goal, on the prize, on the vision, on that glorious finish line. Wouldn't you know, I crossed it. (laughs) Now, today's podcast isn't about running races or goal setting. It's not even about vision. It's actually about marriage. (laughs) Yeah, marriage. And the reason I started with this introduction is because the mindset that I have developed over the years, the The mindset, the heart set, and the soul set that I've developed over the years have come through the influence of other individuals. The wisdom that I have acquired has come straight from the word of God. If you ever want to learn about leadership, read about the life of Christ. He is the greatest leader, bar none. No one compares. I mean, the greatest form of leadership is servanthood leadership. As Patrick Lencioni said, is there any other kind? Is there any other kind of leadership than servanthood leadership? My other two greatest influencers have been my mom and dad. My mom and dad have impacted my life like no one else. They have paved the way for me. They have taught me not necessarily through words. They have taught me through examples they have set the tone, they set the standard. They did not attend a college, they didn't even graduate from high school, but yet the knowledge, I I scratch that, the wisdom that they possess is something that cannot be acquired at college, cannot be acquired through books, it is acquired through life. And so I'm grateful for my parents who are close to 80 years of age, and they continue to thrive. Ever since I can remember, I have seen both my mother and my father not only deposit into my life and that of my siblings, but they have made deposits in the lives of other people. They have touched so many hearts. They have supported many people financially. They have supported many people with prayer and with words of encouragement. My mother and father are people of great faith. God is number one in their lives and you can see it. It is evident. They understand that God is their sustainer, their provider, their healer, their protector, their shalom, their peace. They understand that. They live it. It is a lifestyle that they have developed over the years. And they are quite the example when it comes to marriage. Now, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, and uh, but I believe that they've been together for over 60 years now. Uh, They've been married for most of those years, but they have known each other for 60 plus years. And so they have set the standard for marriage for myself and my siblings. And boy, it is hard to live up to that standard. Watching them walk hand in hand, look at each other with great love and passion, encouraging one another, caring for one another when one is sick, when one is fallen, the other one is there to support every single time. At 49 years of age, I can tell you that I have no recollection of them ever getting into a fight, ever. And so having parents like that is a blessing. And it's hard for me to understand at times when I'm counseling people or coaching people, people who come from highly dysfunctional homes, it it saddens my heart tremendously when I hear them speak about their parents and the horrible experiences that they had to go through growing up as kids. It's painful. It's painful and it's very hard to empathize because my childhood, my upbringing was not perfect, but it was a healthy home where love was always expressed towards one another. Toward the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021, my parents were quarantined. They had tested positive for COVID. They were on medication caring for one another, isolated. And let me remind you, they're close to 80 years of age. What that means is that they are more prone to ending up in the hospital on a ventilator, ill, or even dying in the process. My dad, my dad had leukemia a few years ago. I mean, he's still on a chemo pill. My father has gone through a lot of physical afflictions a few years ago he had a massive heart attack while we were having a conversation and yet god saw him through i mean i have seen god's miraculous hands his his anointing his healing anointing upon my father's life it is it is so evident and amazing and then my mother oh my goodness my mother's this petite little little lady she is the cutest thing <laughs> And she has more energy than a teenager. I'm telling you, she can run circles around most people. Nothing, nothing can stop her. Well, COVID did hit her hard. COVID hit her hard, knocked her right off of her feet. But can I tell you something? It knocked her off of her feet, but it didn't keep her off of her feet she eventually got back up. Many of us were in prayer, believing. Of course, they were on their medication. And let me tell you, their mindset, their heart set, their soul set, and their health set saw them through, saw them out of COVID. They came back stronger, more resilient. I mean, if you look up if you look up resilience in the dictionary, it's my parents. That's my mom and dad that they're talking about. They are resilient individuals. My father recovered rather quickly. My mother, on the other hand, it took her a few, a few more days or perhaps a few more weeks to feel fully restored and back to normal again. I called them daily, Facetime them daily to check up on them, to see how they were doing to see if they needed anything so that we could pray, to see how they were progressing. (laughs) And on a particular day, my father calls me. He beat me to the call. (laughs) He called me and he said, son, I am calling you on behalf of your mother. (laughs) I said, my mother? What's going on with my mom? She wants you to know that she is feeling 100% better today than she did yesterday. She is fully recovered. (laughs) And so as my father was telling me this, as he was sharing the good news, I could hear music in the background. I could hear a song that they enjoyed dancing to in their youth. And so my father says, your mother wants you to know that she is feeling so fully recovered that she turned on Pandora and she looked for a song, Gema, the song that was playing in the background, because that was a song that they first danced to when they fell in love. And so she wanted to play that tune and dance to it as my father held her in his arms. Can you picture them dancing? They're the cutest. Couple ever. They were definitely made for one another. And so the question is how does a married couple fall in love and stay in love? How do they not survive, but thrive in their marriage? What is the secret to success? What is that one thing? What is a secret sauce you're probably asking that makes a marriage? as special as theirs. I recall an occasion in which my father and my mother and I were having lunch at a Denny's. We had just just sat down and the waitress came over. The waitress came over and asked my father first what he would like to order. My father said, I'll have the grilled fish. The grilled fish, she said. My mother looked at my dad and said, honey, I don't think that you would like the grilled fish. I think that you would rather have the grilled chicken. My father said, no, sweetheart. I really do want the grilled fish. My mother insisted, she said, no, 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 I, I I, think that you would rather have the grilled chicken. My father looked at me, looked at the waitress, and said, ma'am, bring me the grilled chicken. My mother turns and looks at the waitress and says, and I'll have the grilled fish. <laughs> I know, you're probably thinking, what, why? Well, that's exactly what I was thinking. And so my mother got up, she went to the restroom. And as she was away from the table, I looked at my father, I said, dad, dad, what happened? Why didn't you just order what you wanted to order? Why did you, or how did mom convince you to get something that you didn't even wanna eat? He looked at me and he said, son, listen. He said, I'm not about to ruin all of these years of blissful marriage Over a piece of fish. (laughs) Call it wisdom, call it whatever you want. I had a friend who once told me, he was a a mentor of mine. He said to me, Milton, in marriage, you can either be right or you can be happy, but you can't be both. (laughs) Great wisdom from an old man that was dearly loved by his wife. You probably know that I am a marriage counselor and I've been a relationships coach for over 15 years now, I've been able to identify certain elements, certain key elements within the marriage relationship that are identifiers of possible divorce. And so one of those identifiers is the lack of communication. In other words, not knowing the difference between male and female communication styles. I mean, come on, let's be honest. There is a huge difference between the two. I mean, think about it for a moment. A man has about 3,000 words to share on a daily basis, whereas a woman has over 10,000. In other words, by the end of the day, a woman could have written a book, an 85-page book, whereas a man would have written a 25-page book. And so there's a big difference, a big difference between how they think, how they process information. Men, men are linear. They are sequential in their thinking. You've probably heard that men's minds are like a waffle. (laughs) It's full of little boxes. They're compartments. Every little box has a label on it. One of them is work, home, friends, hobbies, TV, sports, kids, wife, Every little box has a label, and you can only open up one box at a time. <laughs> Women, please understand, your husband does not have this ability to open up several boxes at the same time. Or so you've tried before, and you know what happens. He has this glazed look, this dumbfounded look on his face. Why? Because it's too much information. <laughs> so. Men, we we compartmentalize. You know, sometimes you go up to your husband or to your significant other and maybe you have asked that one question that every woman asks, what are you thinking about? (laughs) What are you thinking about? And what is his answer? Nothing. I'm not thinking about anything at all. (laughs) And you know what? It's true. Men have a nothing box There is a nothing box. And so when you see them staring out into the distance and you're thinking, what are they thinking about? They are thinking of absolutely nothing. It's the way that they unwind, that they recalibrate. Now, if men are like waffles in their thought process, women are like a bowl of spaghetti, lots of noodles. You don't know where it starts or where it ends. All you know is that everything is interconnected. <laughs> I heard someone once say, when women get upset, they don't get hysterical. They get historical. They remember everything. <laughs> They're the ones that say, remember? Remember when? And he says, uh, n- no, I don't. What do you mean you don't remember? It, it just happened two weeks ago. I remember," he says. "I can't remember that. Did it really happen?" Or they'll say something like, "Oh, I remember when we met the very first time. Remember where we were? Where we were standing? Remember how we looked at each other? Remember that song that we were listening to?" And he says, uh, "No, I can't remember." Again, that memory has been compartmentalized. Perhaps if you give him enough time to think about it, to To go through all of those boxes and to pull out that one box that he has already sealed with packing tape, he might be able to remember. So understanding that men have less to share than women is important because when he comes home from work, if the wife is a stay-at-home mom, she has a lot to say because, come on, she's got 10, 12, 13,000 words that she hasn't used and he's already used up all of his allotment, all of his words, his 3,000 words have already been used. And so when he comes home from work, because women are detailed and men are headliners, I mean, she says, how was your day at work, honey? His answer, good. No, no, but how did it go? It was good. We well, had like, but did anything interesting happen? no. Well, do you have anything, any details, anything you want to share with me today? Not really. And what happens? The wife is upset. Oftentimes, she's upset because she feels that he's holding back information or that he's just not wanting to share his life with her. But the truth of the matter is that he's already closed that compartment. That box is closed. The one that says job, work. He's closed it. He opened a new one up that's called home. Home. And so he doesn't want to talk about that, so that's the best answer you're going to get because men are headliners, whereas women are the fine print. Now, does that mean that we can't meet in the middle? No, you can meet in the middle. Understanding that he has less to say and understanding that she has more that she wants to hear is important because now you don't think just about yourself. Now you meet in the middle. Perhaps he can make an extra effort to share a little more information with the wife, and the wife can be a little more understanding and not ask so many questions. And so understanding each one's communication styles is very important. I mean, when a woman says, I have nothing to wear, what that means is that she has nothing new to wear. Come on, let's be, let's be honest. When a man says, I have nothing to wear, It simply means that he has nothing clean (laughs) to wear. It's that plain and simple. So here goes some really good advice when it comes to communication. Listen to understand. Don't listen to reply. Yes, listen to understand and not to reply. Make it a habit, men, that when your wife comes to you and her heart is broken, or she is troubled, she's sad, or she's had a rough day at work, and she comes to you with these issues, and she shares them, she cries on your shoulder, 90% of the time, she doesn't want you to tell her how to fix her problem. She just wants you to listen. And if you don't know how to read those cues, her body language, do yourself a favor. When she comes to you and starts talking, ask her this question. Say, sweetheart, do you just want me to listen to you today? Or would you like for me to listen to you and to provide you with a solution to the issue that you're facing? Most of the time she will say, all I need is for you to listen. Hold me and let me cry. So part of the listening to understand process requires acute listening skills and keen observation. You've got to listen and you've got to watch. Look at the body language. Listen for certain cues that will better help you understand his or her heart. Now this also applies to you as parents in training up your children. Sometimes we are quick to reply and we are slow to understand. The Bible even says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. In counseling sessions, I will oftentimes ask the husband, what is your wife's number one need? What is that one thing that you and only you can supply for? And then I'll turn to her and ask her the same question. What is your husband's number one need? And what is that one need that only you can supply for? And of course, 90% of the time, they have no clue. (laughs) She will oftentimes say jokingly, well, it's sex or food. And he'll say, yeah, well, maybe. (laughs) But that's not the case. In all reality, a woman's number one need is a need for security, the husband needs to be able to provide the wife with emotional security, financial security, physical security, and spiritual security. Women who are struggling in their marriage, marriages that are dysfunctional, are usually lacking these four elements. Emotional, financial, physical, and spiritual security. And yes, you're probably thinking, what about scripture? What does the scripture say to men, to husbands? Well, Paul says to the Ephesian church, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave his life sacrificially for her. And so the word of God calls us men to love our wives as Christ did, as Christ loved the church he gave his life for the church. So that speaks of of an agape kind of love. There's, There's philos love, which is a brotherly love. There is an eros love, which is an erotic, passionate love. And then there's the agape love. And that's exemplified through our Father, our Heavenly Father. It's an agape love, which is unconditional love, which means that No matter what you look like today, no matter what you sound like today, no matter how you cook today, I love you simply because because I love you. And so security is very important also. And what about the wife? What is that number one need that can only be supplied through her? That is a very simple yet complicated question. (laughs) The answer is... The answer is exactly what Aretha Franklin said back in the 50s, (laughs) R-E-S-P-E-C-T, respect. Give me a little respect. A husband will thrive on respect. The Bible says, wives, honor and respect your husband. I mean, this is God's word. God's word is telling you, (laughs) honor, respect. That's the key. In every man, in every man, there is a little boy. And in every woman, there's a little girl. A little girl who desires to be cared for, held, loved, and protected. And in every boy, there's a desire to be respected and to be looked upon as a knight in shining armor. Why do little boys want to grow up to be soldiers, policemen, firemen? Why? It's very simple. They know that the uniform commands respect. And respect is a need. It is a, it's an intrinsic need. It is a need that is, that, is, that is wired into their minds and their hearts. Moms, listen. Please listen. If you have little boys that you're raising, listen. They thrive on respect. What are you saying, Milton? That I'm supposed to respect my kids? Show them honor and respect? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Disrespect your son by belittling him, by not listening to him, by not paying attention to him because you're so busy doing other things on your phone or with friends. Do those things And that translates into disrespect, and the child's heart will start to fade away. His love tank will slowly but surely become depleted. And so respect and honor is key in a relationship with a man or in raising a little boy. If you are a dad raising a little girl, listen. Just as I mentioned that women thrive on security, financial, physical, uh, emotional, and spiritual security, so does your little girl, your daughter, whether she's five or 15. She needs to feel secure around you, secure enough to talk to you, to cry on your shoulder. She needs to know that she's unconditionally loved by you, no matter how many times she falls and messes up that daddy is always going to be there. You need to be that example. You need to be that man that you would like your daughter to marry. Make it, make it a habit. Take her out on weekly dates. Set a specific time on the calendar. Pick a day and say, sweetheart, on Thursdays, you and I are going to Dairy Queen. <laughs> We're going to go have a banana split. We're going to go have a burger. Just you and me. Make sure that you open the car door. Open the restaurant door, let her in first, pull out the chair, push it back in. Show her what a gentleman looks like, sounds like, and acts like. Set the standard. set the standard. <laughs> let me tell you a quick story i was uh, I was doing a premarital counseling session for a young couple he was He was a, a strong looking cowboy <laughs> and she was a princess, most definitely a young lady who had participated in many beauty pageants and had come in first place. She was gentle, kind-hearted, and very soft-spoken. And so when I asked her a question, and the question was, what do you expect from your future husband once you're married? What is that one thing that you look forward to? And without hesitation, with a glow in her eyes, she looked at me and she said, Milton, I look forward to having him bring me a red rose and breakfast in bed every Friday. I so look forward to that. He jumped out of his chair and looked at her and said, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? What do you mean a red rose and breakfast in bed? I don't even know how to cook. And I'm not about to do that whole red rose thing. You know that I'm, I'm not into that kind of stuff. A tear roll down her cheek. I said, sweetie, I said, why is it that you expect this from your future husband? She says, well, since I can remember, my father has always, always brought me a red rose and left it on my nightstand and breakfast in bed every Friday. She said, I still live with my parents and he continues to do this. He looked at her and you know what he said, right? (laughs) You're probably guessing. He said, well, I'm not your dad. I'm not your dad. She stopped, stood up, and she looked at me and she says, I'm going to have to leave now. I'm going to have to think this through. And she left the session. He looked at me, dumbfounded, didn't know what had just happened. And I looked at him and I said, you're really going to have to pray about this. You're either going to have to start buying red roses and learning how to cook waffles or you're just going to have to say goodbye to this sweet young lady who has so much potential to be a godly wife and a godly mother. They came back the following week. They had talked about it. They had agreed to meet in the middle. She said, you know what? I'm willing to give up on the red rose and breakfast in bed. My love for him is way too big to sacrifice it over a rose and some waffles. And he looked at her and he said, but you know what? I'm going to do everything in my power to live up to that expectation because I love you and I want to keep you forever. Well, fast forward, they've been married for many years now and I believe they're on their third child. <laughs> so it's going well, it is going well. You know, the Bible says in Amos 3.3, 3, how can two walk together if they don't come into agreement? I mean, you have to agree, there has to be compromise. You have to meet in the middle. You have to agree as a, as a married couple. Uh, you have to agree on core values. You have to agree on a mission and a vision for self, for you as a couple, and for you as a family if you don't have a destination, then you don't know what to set your GPS to. You're just gonna go round and round in circles and end up tired, depleted, and out of love. So, coming into agreement as to boundaries, expectations, what you are willing to do and not willing to do, what you are willing to tolerate and what you are not willing to tolerate, meeting in the middle, compromising. That is a key to a successful marriage relationship. Now, there are certain communication styles that I have observed over the past 15 plus years as a marriage counselor, as a relationships coach, that can easily predict relationship failure. In other words, when I observe these communication styles, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that marriage relationship is soon to go into a death spiral. I'm going to share these four different communication styles with you right now. I want you to really listen to them closely and try to identify uh, any one of these in your relationship. And if you do identify them, well, I caution you, this is the beginning of possibly a death spiral that can be avoided if the proper measures are taken. Number one is criticism. Criticism is basically verbally attacking your partner's personality or character. Criticism. I'm not talking about constructive criticism. I'm talking about destructive criticism. Once again, it is a verbal attack and it is consistent. In other words, these four different communication styles have to be Evident, not only evident in the relationship, but consistent for them to predict relationship failure. So number one is criticism. Number two is contempt. Contempt is attacking your partner's sense of self with the intent to insult or mentally abuse. Really contempt is, or contempt has one goal, and that's to destroy your partner's self-worth. Now, contempt is consistent. Someone who is contemptuous or a relationship that is filled with contempt is pretty consistent. It is getting up in the morning and the first thing that comes to mind is, how do I destroy my partner's self-worth? Once again, it is attacking your partner's sense of self with the intent to insult or mentally Abuse, Yes, it is a form of mental abuse. Usually people who practice contempt, who try to belittle or destroy an individual's self-worth, they're usually narcissistic. They're narcissists. And unfortunately, narcissists will always be narcissists. There's truly no therapy for them or medication. I've always said that the only person that can turn a narcissist around is God through Jesus Christ. The third uh, communication style that predicts relationship failure is defensiveness. This is seeing yourself always as the victim, simply to ward off a perceived attack. And so, when you feel that confrontation is coming your way, you fall into a defensive mode, which which puts yourself in a victim mindset. You know, it's never my fault. It's always your fault. You know, you're always attacking me. I'm always the, on the receiving end of all of this. You know, it's that victim mentality. Poor me. How come I always get the, the short end of the stick? That's defensiveness. And number four is stonewalling. Stonewalling is simply withdrawing from the relationship as, as a way to avoid conflict. Now, men are more prone to stonewall than women. Women like to confront the issue at hand right away. It's She's the one that will usually say, okay, let's talk about this now. Let, let's resolve it now. And what he will do is stonewall. It's like, talk to the hand. I'm not listening. They usually turn around and walk away. And they do that for days. They stonewall. It's not Withdrawing to take a breather and to recalibrate—that usually takes forty-five minutes—and that's that you can you can uh, listen to uh, forms of of setting those boundaries in that uh, series called Guard Your Heart. It's one of the first series that that uh, I uploaded onto this podcast. You can listen to that, and learn more about boundaries, but that's that's a different thing. Withdrawing to set a boundary for 45 minutes to breathe, recalibrate, and come back as to avoid an argument, a heated argument, that's, that's healthy. That's a healthy boundary. Stonewalling is not. Stonewalling is simply saying, I don't want to hear about it. It's grabbing the keys and taking off and, uh, and not talking to the individual for days. That's stonewalling. So criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Those are four communication styles that predict relationship failure. But the the, the one that is the greatest predictor of marriage failure is contempt. Contempt on a consistent basis is indicative of a relationship that is soon to go into the death spiral and recover from that no more. And so just as you have those predictors of a failed relationship or a relationship soon to fail. There are two elements that you should always cultivate in the relationship. These two elements are predictors of salvageability. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word. But anyways, these two elements, when they are present in a marriage relationship, are indicators that the relationship, no matter what their status is in, if these two elements are present, then the relationship is still salvageable. And these two elements are fondness and admiration. Let me say that again. Fondness and admiration. Fondness is basically saying, I'm proud of you. I'm attracted to you. I am impressed by you. And admiration, admiration is simply saying, I'm grateful for, grateful for your life. I'm grateful for the person that you are. I'm grateful for you, period. I appreciate the fact that, you know, I appreciate the fact that you care for us, or I appreciate the fact that you keep a tidy house, things like that. And I am thankful that. I'm thankful that we're together. I'm thankful that we ended up, you know, married and having children. I'm thankful that we can, you know, walk hand in hand and And and, and agree on so many things. I'm thankful. So those are just some basic examples of what fondness and admiration sound like. Uh, Just very plain and simple. And so keep in mind, once again, that if these two elements are present in a relationship, no matter what the situation is, no matter how rocky the relationship may be at that time, if fondness and admiration are present in the relationship, then that is a great indicator that the relationship is still salvageable. So Cultivate these two. You know, if you can't, if you don't have uh, anything to say, (laughs) force yourself. Be creative. You know, if you want to salvage your marriage, you're going to have to go above and beyond. You're going to have to be intentional, disciplined, and consistent. You're going to have to if you want to salvage your marriage. So fondness and admiration are key. You know, there is so much content to cover uh, when it comes to relationships And I didn't pick this topic because of Valentine's Because this is February right now We're approaching Valentine's Day You know, but it is appropriate It is appropriate though uh, Valentine's Day is is a time when people give sometimes out of, out of uh, love Others give out of commitment Others are forced to give Because everyone else is doing it So might as well do it too but you know what? Love should be demonstrated on a day-to-day basis. You build up. It's like putting Lego blocks together. You put one on top of the other, on top of the other, on top of the other. Think about the heart as a tank. I mentioned it earlier. I use the concept of a depleted love tank. You know, Gary Chapman in his love Languages, Five Love Languages book talks about a love tank, which, by the way, you know, there's going to be a part two and perhaps a part three to this episode, and so stay tuned. Uh, the next one will be on the love languages because we talked about communication styles, and uh, you know, love languages are communication styles, ways that you communicate love. And so, once again, I want you to I want you to ask yourself two questions as I wrap up this this episode. Ask yourself this question: Do you know the current state of your relationship. Like if you were to rate your marriage or your relationship on a scale of one to 10, 10 being excellent, 10 being blissful, beautiful, blessed, zero being soon to go into the death spiral or already in the death spiral. I mean, think about it. Rate your relationship on a scale of one to 10. And the second question is, do you know what you would like your relationship to be like? To look like. I mean, think about it. If you were to paint a picture, in other words, create a vision for your marriage relationship or for your relationship, create a picture, what would you like it to look like? I told you earlier that my standard is my standard are my mom and dad. Their marriage relationship, <laughs> that's my standard. And yes, of course, what the scripture has to say about relationships. But my physical standard. The one that I follow it's my mom and dad because it is it's not impeccable, but it's close to being impeccable, and so I strive to be like them, strive to be like them. I want to be close to eighty walking hand in hand with my wife, being able to sit down and have a conversation looking at each other in the eyes, still in love, still passionate for one another that is The goal. At the end of the day, you know what? A lot of people, they focus so much on cultivating the relationship with their children, which is good. Don't get me wrong. You've got to do that. But they focus so much on that relationship that they forsake their spouses. And so their their children become their top priority. And they forget about their spouse. And then the children go up, go to college, fall in love. Get married and start their own families, and then you become second (laughs) in their list of priorities. Their family becomes first, the way it should be. You know that I have a 29 year old son who is married to a lovely young lady, my, my daughter in law, that I love. They have two children, my grandkids, Ezra and Emery. I love them, love them. And you know what? I know that I am not my son's top priority. I know that if I need him, he's there, but his family comes first, and that's the way it should be, and that's why focusing on your relationship with your spouse is pivotal. Why? Because at the end of the day, that's who you end up with the rest of your life, or at least you would hope so, and so keep all of these things in mind. Evaluate, reflect, and pivot. Start making those changes in your life. Start Start pivoting in those areas where you feel that you are deficient. You know, ask yourself, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my opportunities? And what are my challenges or my threats? Think about that. And so stay connected because soon episode two will talk about the love languages. And those are important that you understand them so that you speak your spouse's language and communicate more. Effectively, Well, guys, once again, thank you so much for connecting. If you have a few minutes, would you please rate this podcast? <laughs> Give us a five-star rating, please. And leave a positive note, some positive uh, feedback. Keep in mind that it is a great encouragement to my soul. It keeps me fueled, it keeps me going, and it keeps me putting out content to benefit each and every one of you. Also, if you can connect to my YouTube channel and my Instagram, I would appreciate that dearly. Uh, if you ever need to send me a message, you can DM me through uh, Instagram. And if you feel like you you need some counseling yourself, if you feel like you need some marriage counseling, some relationship counseling, or premarital counseling, which by the way, I am a certified Simbus evaluator. What is a Symbus evaluator or what is Simbus? Simbus is an acronym that stands for save your marriage before it starts. It is a test that was developed by Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott. It is taken online individually and it's a series of several questions. And what this does is that once you're both done, an algorithm or a series of algorithms will combine both of your evaluations and send them to my dashboard. And it evaluates everything from the relationship momentum, you know, to, to communication styles, personality styles, uh, upbringing, you know, your childhood traumas, red flags. Uh, it talks about, you know, your, your sexual inclinations. It talks about finances. It, 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 it is very in-depth. I mean, we're talking about a 15-page report. It basically, basically gives you an overview of whether or not you are compatible. And so going into a relationship without this type of assessment is quite the gamble. Because a lot of people, let's be honest, they only date for a few months, sometimes a year, before they get into a marriage relationship, and uh, that's not a good thing, because you basically start to to get to know the person, you know, on the go, and sometimes the things that you discover about the other person are not what you expected, and so the Simba's helps helps us, or helps me as a counselor guide you in the process of you know, dealing with those red flags or dealing with those childhood traumas before you say, I do. And so if you feel like that's something that you need, I'm gonna include in the show notes, I'll include my, my uh, link to my scheduling page where you can schedule a session and we can talk about it. And so God bless you guys. I will see you soon. Love you, love you, love you in Christ. Goodbye.